0: So remember last week, I shared with you how in the morning when I wake up, I read a verse from that app on my phone. And then last week, it was the verse that was our memory verse. And how cool was that? So again, this week, God has just, in only the way that he can, he has done something so sweet and special. This study um, for this week encompasses Paul's return journey to Jerusalem. But a lot of what is being talked about there is his love for the people with whom he serves. And we'll get to the part in uh, Ephesus where he's saying goodbye to those Ephesian elders. And if you went through the study, you spent a, a little bit thinking about the people maybe that you have served the Lord with and how that builds a bond that lasts into eternity. And so, in only God's way, Valerie, come up here, he did not, or I did not, I did not know that my friend Valerie was going to be here on this week when we would be talking about people that we serve with and people that we um, are in the trenches with. And so, my friend Valerie appeared for my birthday, and her birthday was Valentine's Day. But this friend is one that for 10, almost 11 years, we served together um, in our church in Jacksonville and we were in the trenches. We had some difficult situations that we dealt with in helping women. and women who were struggling and women who were in serious difficulty. And Valerie was always willing. If there was, I I could call her anytime, day or night, and say, come on, we've got to go to to this place to help this woman, and she'd be there. She's traveled with me. She's the one that I think I told y'all. I would go to speak, you know, fully prepared to share the gospel and hope to see fruit. And we'd be on the airplane, and Valerie would be winning all the people to the Lord. So she is an evangelist. She is um, a great woman of the Lord, and I'm so thankful for her. And so whenever I read about Paul leaving those Ephesian elders, and they're there together on the shore and saying goodbye, I think about leaving Jacksonville and leaving my heart, part of it there, um, and just the time that we've had to serve together. So, only God could do that. If you think that He does not care about the little details in your life, oh my, you're wrong, because He does. And today, He's shown me that. So, thank you. Love you. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to strap in, and we're going to go until 1120, I hope, maybe a little bit longer. We are in Acts chapter 20, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, and then go ahead and put a marker in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm hoping that we'll swing by 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as well. So in Acts chapter 19, you remember last week we were with Paul as he was there in Ephesus, and There was a riot that broke out, and the people were crying out about their goddess, Diana. And they were so concerned about this influence of this missionary man, this man who was spreading the gospel, they were worried that he would disrupt their trade and take away their livelihood and cause problems for the worship of their goddess, Diana. And so, because of the danger there, Paul left, and we come to chapter 20, and we see in verse 1 that after the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, and he encouraged them. And after saying farewell, he departed to go to Macedonia. Now, chapter 20 marks Paul's journey as he begins to head toward Jerusalem. And we're going to see many parallels between the time that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and Paul was determined in his heart to go to Jerusalem. And we're going to see that there is much danger predicted for Paul just as there was for Jesus. So as we walk through these verses together, be thinking about that parallel that it seems as if Luke is intentionally drawing for us as he's giving us the information about what happened in Paul's life, helping us to see the similarities to what happened in the life of Jesus as well. It says in verse two, and when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and stayed for three months. The Jews plotted against him and when he was about to sell, set sail for Syria. So he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby; Timothy and Tychius, And Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. In five days, we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. Now, Luke is giving us a lot of detail here. He's telling us the places that they went, he's telling us the people who went along and where these people were from and the amount of time that it took them to travel. Paul is trying to make it to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for the day of Pentecost. And one interesting fact about these men that are accompanying him, as we see the different places that they came from, it's important for us to note that these were men from the churches that had been established in Paul's journeys. They are coming with him to take the offering for the church at Jerusalem, This is the offering that was collected by those Gentile believers from these churches, and they're wanting to help out the mother church there in Jerusalem. What is so exciting about seeing the names and the places and the fact thinking about that they're heading to Jerusalem near the day of Pentecost is that this group really represents kind of the first fruits of those churches, that ministry, this fruit That God has given as Paul has made these missionary journeys and what a group this must have been as they're traveling together thinking about all that God has done and the blessings that he's given the believers those that have come to know Christ through this ministry and they're traveling together and they come in verse 7 To a gathering, and an interesting thing happens at this gathering. So we'll explore that a little bit. In verse seven, it says, On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Paul was a talker, and Paul had much to share. And what is interesting about this and the timing of their meeting is that very first phrase, on the first day of the week. This is on Sunday. It is when the believers began to gather to worship the Lord. And so in the commentaries, everything talked about how they moved from a day of worship on Saturday to a day of worship on Sunday. And that something really unique and special must have caused that change. What was it? It was the resurrection of Jesus Because he rose on the first day of the week, believers began to worship on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day on Sunday. So here they are, and this is the first mention of that worship being the first day of the week. And as they're breaking bread, that means that they were taking the Lord's Supper together. But just before that time, they would have had what was called an agape feast, a love feast, where everyone would have brought food together. They would have had a meal. They would have enjoyed fellowship together with one another. And then they would move into their time of worship where they took the Lord's Supper. And Paul is teaching and preaching and and talking to the people there until midnight. And we see in verse eight, there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Now, who is writing this account? Do you remember? Luke. And what is Luke's profession? he's a doctor. So if Dr. Luke says that this young man was dead, he was dead, right? Paul talked him to death. And so (laughs) terrible, terrible. Let's move on. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. Now, Luke doesn't give us much detail here, but what he's doing as he describes how Paul took this approach to bring this healing through the Lord, he's giving us kind of a, a picture of what happened in the Old Testament. If you were able to go back and take a look there in Kings and see how Elijah experienced the same thing with someone that he brought back to life. As Paul went, I'm sure he remembered what had happened there in the Old Testament. And as he went down to this young man and possibly laid over him, bent down over him, maybe embraced him, his life was returned. God gave him his life back. And this miracle was performed. And what's so interesting to me is just how few words are used to explain what happened. Don't be alarmed. He's alive. And as they went back upstairs in verse 11. They continued taking some food, eating, and then Paul talked again for a long time until dawn. Now remember, this may be the last time that Paul ever sees these believers. And he has much to share with them, much to say And he continues into the night because he wants them to know as much as he can tell them about the gospel, about who Jesus is, about all that he has learned of our great Savior. And so he talks with them until dawn and then he left. And in verse 12, they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. I can imagine (laughs) that boy would have so many stories to tell. And what a joyous night they had together, seeing God's hand in this miraculous work. But Paul is moving on. We see that in the narrative, it almost feels as if things are, we don't have enough time just to sit and to, to think about it. We're moving ahead. Paul's desire is to move on and to get to Jerusalem. So you see in verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos where we were going to take Paul on board because these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. They were going to go ahead and get on the boat and take the trip. It was, I think I read about 30 miles, 20 to 30 miles, and Paul was going to walk. Well, the reason that the commentators say that he was going to walk is he wanted as much time with the believers as he could have, discipling them along the way, but also he would encounter others, as he made his way by land, and he would share the gospel with them. Paul is feeling the urgency because he has been shown by the Holy Spirit that there is danger ahead. And he feels the urgency to continue to share the gospel with as many people as he possibly can. So he goes on, and it says, The following day, I'm sorry, in verse 15, Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios." The following day we crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to, them, to him, they, he said to them, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening here is as Paul is making his way, he knows that he does not have enough time to go into Ephesus and to begin to see everyone who would be there after he had spent three years ministering in that place. And so he went to a location and he called the elders of Ephesus to him. And as these men came to him, and maybe you spent some time looking at the passage in Timothy that gives us the qualifications for the elders. As a matter of fact, we ran through it twice because it's important. These were godly men, men that the Lord had set aside to lead the church there at Ephesus. And if you remember anything about while we were walking through that time in Ephesus, there was much persecution. There was much darkness there. These men had a great responsibility to lead that church. And so as Paul brings them together, he recounts how the Lord had him serve and the things that he did there that he served alongside them with tears, And with heartache, as they cared for the people, as they ministered to the people, as they shared the gospel in the face of darkness and great opposition, they had endured much for the name of Christ. It says that he taught publicly and he also taught from house to house. So he had services where he would preach the gospel, but he also had Bible studies where he would go into the homes and spend time with them individually as families, as small groups, studying together, learning together. And he always spoke about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. That is such a message to us. It is one thing for us to share with people the the story of our church, wherever we may attend church. It's one thing for us to share with people what we think about our religious beliefs or our denomination, but really the most important thing that we share with people is faith in Jesus Christ, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. It is not our church denomination that's going to save us. It is not our church history or our miraculous story of whatever church that we attend that is going to save us. It is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came to earth as a gift from his father God, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he hung on a cross taking the price of our sin on himself, that he bled and died, that he was in the tomb for three days, that he rose again according to the scriptures. And that he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God forever making intercession for us. And that in order to have an eternal relationship with the Father, we must go through the Son. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the message of the gospel. That's the most important thing that we can share. Paul reminded them of the weight of that and of their responsibility toward it. And then verse 22, he says, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. I want you to remember that. He is compelled by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. He knows there's danger, but he doesn't know the details. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Verse 24, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. His face is set for Jerusalem, and he is following God's plan for his life. In verse 25, And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan or the whole counsel of God. Now, when you read that phrase, it can kind of sound like, well, what in the world? What is he talking about being innocent of their blood? That's kind of harsh in this tender moment that he's sharing. But what he's saying to them is this. Listen, you do not have to fear that I have held something back from you. I am accountable to God for what I have taught you. James talks about that for teachers, there will be a stricter judgment, a higher accountability. Paul took that seriously. He shared everything that he knew. He didn't hold anything back. And what he's saying to them is, it is your responsibility to carry that on. But you don't have to worry. I've shared it all with you. And as he says that to them, he talks about sharing the whole counsel of God, which means for all of the Old Testament, all of the scripture that they had, he shared all of it was not one part that he said, "Ooh, this might be a little too offensive. I think I'm not going to share that. Let's move on." Or he didn't go week by week and think, "Well, this is my favorite portion of scripture. I'm just going to stick on that." Or he didn't just tell them what they wanted to hear. He walked through God's word, the tough spots, the difficult places, as well as those that are a little bit easier to take. That's the kind of teaching and preaching that we want to be under, the whole counsel of God. We need to know it all. We need to understand it all. We need to hear it all, even when it steps on our toes. And that is what Paul has done for these people In verse 28 he says be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Peter calls it his precious blood. He has purchased the church. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his church and he's appointed these men to be overseers and shepherds. And what he's doing here is warning them because as they were serving together, they saw all of the opposition that they faced there in Ephesus. But I believe that as Paul was explaining this to them and and urging them to look out for the flock, I believe he had certain people in mind. Those that he knew who would come in as soon as Paul left and try to take the people away from their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ. Those false teachers that would come in and that would sound so true and and the falsities would be so subtle as the people began to hear them. So he's calling them to be on guard. He says there in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped stopped warning each of you with tears. Think about that because the same thing happens today. There are those who want to come into the church and their motive is to lead people astray for whatever reason, personal gain, personal power, whatever it is, a following that they want to have. There are those that come into the Christian community that they may write books, they may publish articles, they may stand on a stage, they may lead in some other way, but their heart is not for the Lord. And we as Christians have the Holy Spirit within us who will show us and who will give us a sense to see that something is not right here. When we have that feeling, when we have that sense as we're listening to someone else teaching or sharing the word, we need to run, not walk, to scripture. And we need to compare what we're hearing to what is right here because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. And I've had the experience where someone came in to a group um, that Valerie and I were were in and and leadership over. And and at that time, it was a really busy season in the ministry and and we were all very involved in so many things. And, And a young woman came in and she had this message that sounded really good and exciting, but there was something about it that was just not right. And she began to share with my with my leadership in our class and they began to get excited about this woman who was passionate about ministry and they began to think well maybe she can be on board and help us with what we're doing here and as I, I went to talk to her and listen to what she was really sharing I discovered that it was totally contrary to scripture completely wrong wrong And my heart was broken, and it was burdened for those women who had begun to follow her because some were really getting involved with the things that she was recommending. And I went to some of the older women in the church, and I said, we've got this this young woman coming in, and she's doing this. What am I supposed to do? And they did not hesitate. They said, we're going to pray with you right now that she leaves. I thought, I think that's contrary to what we normally teach. Don't we normally teach that when people come, we want them to stay with us and be a part of what we're doing? (laughs) And they said, she is seeking to draw people astray. You need to pray that the Lord will take her out of this group. And so they prayed for me that night, and the very next week, she did not show up. She left us. And as dramatic as all of that sounds, that is something that is burned into my mind and into my memory because of how quickly those that had been studying the Word with us for a long time, how quickly they were being drawn astray into these practices that this young woman was sharing with them. It can happen quick. And we have to be on guard, just as Paul is calling these elders here. They are to stay alert by being in the word. They are to encourage one another, hold each other accountable, keep the faith, and keep guard over those whom God has entrusted to them. In verse 32, he says, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give Than to receive. Now, how many of you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red? Okay? Great. So we know Jesus said this, right? Paul says Jesus said this, but we can't find this quote in the Gospels anywhere, recorded there by any of the Gospel writers. And so that can cause us some problems until we remember that John said that there were many more things that Jesus did and that he said, and, and if we wrote them all down, there would not be enough books to contain them. There would not be enough ink in the ocean to write out what Jesus has said. So at some point, this is what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What I love about that is Paul's not only talking about material things, giving of material needs, but he's also talking about giving the gospel, It is more blessed to give every time that you share with someone, every time that you teach, every time that you bring someone to a place in Scripture. Don't you walk away feeling that blessing, right? And so that is what Paul is talking about here, that they are to give of themselves, to give monetarily, to give materially, to give of what has been given to them spiritually. And so he continues talking to them there in verse 35. He talks about it being Necessary for them to give in verse 36. It says after he said this he knelt down and he prayed with all of them There were many tears shed by everyone They embraced paul and kissed him grieving most of all over his statement that he would never they would never see his face again And they accompanied him to the ship So as they were there with paul on the shore, and they were saying goodbye to him. Their hearts were broken over the fact that they wouldn't see him again, but their hearts also were full of the encouragement that Paul has given them, of the challenge that he's issued to them, of the memory that they had of serving with him. And I believe when we see these men in heaven, there's gonna be much rejoicing over the fruit that God gave to them after Paul made his way away from them and left them there at Ephesus with the church. In chapter 21, Luke goes on to say how difficult the leaving actually was. He says, "After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight for Cos and the next state of Rhodes, and from there to Petria. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days." Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another, and boarded the ship, and they returned home. Now, as this group of believers that Paul and, the, and his group of disciples had just encountered as they came together and I'm sure talked through many of the things that the Lord has done and, and was doing there. They became deeply concerned about Paul's journey onto Jerusalem and they said in the spirit, don't go. Now there have been many who have said that Paul should not have gone to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, that he was being disobedient to the Lord But I believe when people say that, they're focused on what man is saying to Paul, not what the Spirit has said to Paul. The Spirit has told Paul it's going to be dangerous. The Spirit told these believers it's going to be dangerous. But the Spirit also compelled Paul to go. This prediction of danger was not a prohibition of Paul going. Many times and in many situations, when we face difficulty or the fear of difficulty, the fear of danger ahead, we take that as a sign, maybe we shouldn't do this. That is when we have to dig deep and we have to think through, what has God shown me? What has he called me to do? What has he asked of me in this particular situation And yes, Scripture tells us that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. That is found in Proverbs. And yes, there is. But at times, we, meaning well, can try to prevent someone from doing something that God has called them to do because we're worried about what they may face, what they may encounter, and the danger that is ahead. So we're going to see this repeated as Paul continues to make his way. The believers are worried about what's going to happen to him there. And so we see that in, um, let me see, I've lost my place. Hold on. In verse 7, when we had completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemus and we were greeted. We greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, those original um, deacons of the church. Remember, he's the one that went to Samaria. They stayed with them there, and Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. I wish we had time to talk about that, but we don't, so we'll take it as it is and move on. After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us. He took Paul's belt. He tied his own feet and hands. I'm not sure how he did that. He tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem." And so the same thing is being shared again, but this time in a very visual and dramatic matter. This prophet is pretty dramatic. He reminds us of those prophets of the Old Testament, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, who would do very visual things to help the people see what God was saying to them. And so as Agabus comes and he takes Paul's belt and binds himself, he's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And it is. This is a true prophecy of God. God. And so then again, the people beg him, don't go. This is dangerous. Even Luke is a part of asking him not to go. But look at Paul's reply there in verse 15, 13. When Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. At this point, Paul is demonstrating that determination that God has put within him, but he's also demonstrating a great faith that even if he faces death, he's willing to go. He's willing to endure and to accomplish the task that God has called him to. So they stop talking and just pray that God's will would be done. The next verse says, after this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us. To Manson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly, and the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now, here comes the difficult part in verse 21. But they have been informed about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Now think about what's happening here. Paul has come. He's brought this great and wonderful group with him and all of those disciples that had come to minister with him and to share this offering. And James, who was the leader of the church there, he and the elders accepted the gift and they're excited about what God has done, but they're a little concerned because there's a rumor that's been going around about Paul. And it's been spreading that Paul is prohibiting people from following the law. Now this rumor is not true. But yet, in order to keep the peace, they ask Paul to do something. They ask him to take these four men who've made a vow into the temple to pay the price for their sacrifice and to be purified with them. And as we read through that and you went through it in your study, maybe you were wondering how did Paul decide to go ahead and do this? Wasn't it Paul who said we don't have to do these things in order to be saved? Yes, it was. But Paul was still a Jew. And in order to reach those Jews, he would do what needed to be done unless it contradicted what he was teaching and preaching about the gospel. If you go to that section in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 very quickly, and you see in verse 19, he says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people to the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews, to those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law, to those who are without the law like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Verse 23 Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Paul was willing to sacrifice his comfort, he was willing to sacrifice anything that he needed to in order to not be a stumbling block to those who needed to know Jesus. And during the study this week and and as we read through in the coming weeks, we'll see that Paul had such a great love for his people there in Jerusalem, for the Jews. He had such a great love for them that he was willing that if it would be possible, he would lay down his life. He would lay down his relationship so that they could be saved. Paul had a desire that all would come to the gospel of Christ. And we see that he paid a price for that. He goes into the temple. He does what they ask. A rumor again begins outside of the temple. They begin to say that he has gone in and brought Gentiles and defiled the temple, which was not true. They seize him. They grab him. They're shouting. They take him outside. And one of the saddest sentences that we read there is that the temple gates were shut. They shut him off from the temple and they took him out to beat him, to accuse him. They said he is against the law. He is against the the temple. He's against God, basically. And as they begin to riot in the streets, it causes the, the Roman leadership to hear what is happening. And remember, Rome does not want a riot under any circumstances. Those leaders were there to keep the peace. And as the commander runs out to get Paul after he had already suffered a beating and he takes him up and he's going to put him into the prison, remember Paul stops him and says, may I speak to you? And even the commander is confused about who Paul is. He says, weren't you that Egyptian who led 4,000 raiders, those people who were killing others? And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus. I'm I'm a citizen. And so as the commander allows him to speak, we'll see next week that God used this very dangerous, difficult, and painful moment in Paul's life to give him a platform to share the gospel of Christ with those Jews who needed to hear it. We'll see that he takes every ounce of strength that God gives him, and he opens his mouth, and he proclaims the gospel. Now I ask you, Are you willing to suffer whatever discomfort, whatever displeasure, whatever inconvenience may come if you are given the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ? And believe me, I don't just ask you, I ask myself as well. And I pray for each one of us that as we are following this journey of Paul, that yes, we're looking at this incredible man who is willing to go the distance, but I pray that we're looking past him and we're seeing Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who was willing to suffer the shame of the cross so that you and I could have the glory of salvation. Why would we do anything less than share who Jesus is? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the life of Paul that you're allowing us to read about and to learn about. But God, I thank you that the bigger picture, Lord, that the bigger message is who Jesus is. And as we see um, this great missionary, God, moving forward, we know that it is not by his strength, it is not by his determination alone, but it is by your Holy Spirit God, the same Holy Spirit that dwells within us if we know Jesus as our Savior, thank you that we have nothing to fear because our eternity is set. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us, God, that when the opportunity is there, that we would seize it and that we would speak your name. Lord, may we be ambassadors, may we be missionaries, may we be the ones determined to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. It is by the precious blood of your son that our salvation has been purchased. And we are so very, very thankful. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.